Hi, and welcome back to this next episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. So recently I had the wonderful pleasure of speaking with Jess Campbell, who is a nutritionist and the director of Body Balance Nutrition in New Zealand. So having my first Kiwi guest on the Mindful Dietitian podcast was absolutely fantastic. And for those of you who know Jess and I, you'll know that we are big fans of the F-bomb. Now, uh, I've got some sad news. There was not one dropped, I think, in this whole episode, which towards the end, we were like, this is breaking our hearts. What are we doing? Anyway, just goes to show that you can be expressive and creative and passionate without an F-bomb in sight, which, well, who knew, right? So this is a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. I learned, I always learn a lot from all my guests. And Jess here really brings her lived experience as a medical student. And we chat a lot about the importance of getting curious and asking the uncomfortable questions. We also dive down into why we need to show up both in our personal and professional lives and what it means to quote unquote, do the work. So we dive down into some of the tricky topics such as examining and acknowledging our privilege and then how our privilege can impact our biases and then, you know, how to recognize when maybe shame crops up in our reactions or responses and how to work with that. So rather than retreating back into the shadows um, and feeling embarrassed about maybe a reaction or a response that you have had, whether that's in the distant past or the recent past or even just been, um, how we can really take ownership over um, you know, how we're reacting in different situations and how we can use those to learn and, and grow and engage more with communities that can really help us. So Jess is, uh, as I mentioned, she, she's Director of Body Balance Nutrition and it's a centre specialising in eating disorder recovery and nutrition for weight, health and body concerns and also family feeding. So Jess is a very busy medical student. So she's in her fourth year at Otago University in Dunedin. Those of you who are already aware of Jess over on Instagram where she was at where she is at Body Balance Nutrition, and I will refer to this several times during the podcast, what you hear is that Jess is fiercely passionate about advocating for health at every size and non-diet approaches, and also supporting health practitioners to recognize and acknowledge this paradigm as a social justice movement, which requires the ability to recognize privilege and also take action. I am so pleased to bring you this discussion. It was absolutely fantastic. I hope you really, really enjoy it. Uh, if you haven't discovered our Facebook group, it is The Mindful Dietitian over, yeah, it's a, it's a closed Facebook group. We always have lots of um, dis fun, fun and feisty discussions, I guess you would say, over on Facebook. Um, I am The Mindful Dish Dietitian. Um, on Instagram, and then the main website, which is full of resources, downloadables, upcoming workshops, training, both by myself and other people as well, then head on over to the main website, which is www.themindfuldietitian.com.au. Again, thank you so much for being here, and I really hope you enjoy this podcast with Jess Campbell. Hey Jess, welcome to the Mindful Dietitian podcast. It's so awesome to finally be chatting with you. Thanks for having me, Faye. So 
in this um, midwinter morning, you have got the day off and it's a rare day off because you're smack bang in the middle of your medical degree, aren't you? I am. I'm just over, yeah, halfway really. I've ticked over now into fourth year and halfway through fourth year. So not wow. too much longer to go. And what's your experience been like, you know, with a background as a nutritionist and then kind of heading into medicine? What's your, what's your experience been like? Um, <laughs> uh, I think it's really uh, served me well to have had um, a pre you know previous study at least. Um, my study skills when I went into medicine uh, were where they <laughs> where they needed to be in terms of what do I really need to know or take away from um, this this session and and what's extra information that I don't have the brain capacity to stuff in. Um, but in terms of, yeah, my previous experiences, I think having interacted with people and humans and, and spending some time out in the, the working world um, with you know, other adults and people served me pretty well in integrating into the, the hospital, particularly this year. It has come with some challenges because it's particularly hierarchical um, mm, mm. You know, medicine and kind of figuring out where where do you fit in? And I think that's a, a shared um, perspective of some of the postgrads and certainly some of the older postgrads who have got some other um, healthcare experience or, you know, we've got physios and speech language therapists and nurses who are, who are retraining in medicine. So finding out where we fit can have its challenges too. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, that's really interesting. So a lot of your fellow students are also, they have a previous degree in another allied health kind of field or another medical yeah, so field. That's interesting. I study at um, Otago University and what the University of Otago and it has a category for medicine called the alternative category and so it attracts applicants who have um, a previous um, qualification in healthcare and experience or have an interesting or diverse or a different um, sometimes non-science based um, training and they come into to medicine that way so we've attracted lawyers and some people who have spent time with the army um, have come through this category too oh wow actually mm. that's actually really really interesting because um I, I well i could be totally off base here but i i'd be curious about how they came to first um introduce this category and I wonder whether it's because they just noticed the lack of diversity in the profession and and were like oh maybe maybe by some chance we might get better practitioners if we actually selected from a wider range of people with life experience I don't know I mean do you know a little bit of that history because it's it's fascinating actually um I to be honest I don't know too much of the history or how this category came to be but I think one of the um yeah, one of the objectives is to certainly diversify the um, health workforce. I think it adds um, diversity in terms of background and um, experience, and also it, it provides an opportunity for older students and graduates to, to um, apply. So mm. I'm, I'm not aware of whether or not there's an upper age limit, but I do know that it is drawing um, candidates who are, you know, who are coming into medicine and retraining in their 40s, for example. Oh, that's so it's awesome. It's not something you, you see um, a lot of. Yeah. No. No, I, I've actually really not heard of it, 
to be honest. And mm. I think it's, you know, that's something Otago can really be proud of because it's, uh, you know, I, I imagine that it's, it's producing a lot more um, human-centred people. Well, maybe that's to be to be um to be examined <laughs> perhaps yeah yeah i think as a cohort and i speak to the the alternative category or we as we're fondly referred to the super grads um yes <laughs> we, bring, we do we, we we question things from time to time and we do sort of ask oh why why are we doing things this way where as perhaps those who are coming fresh out of high school in, in some instances that then they may not have been socialized to question why are we doing things this way? And, and so we do provide a, a bit of a, a different perspective, perhaps um, for faculty to think about from time yes. to time. Yeah. yeah. And what I know of you, Jess, is that you are a questioner. You're a, I, I, mm -hmm. I wonder whether if I was to speak to one of your parents whether they would say oh she's always been like that she has a little girl she was like why 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 and <laughs> yeah I'd say that's a fairly accurate assessment <laughs> yeah yeah I've always been curious um I actually think I don't know I, I think I, I love learning and I think it comes from from that I've always been an avid reader as well mm -hmm. and, and I just yeah, I love to question why. Why are we doing things? And I want to know how stuff works and why it works that way. And and I suppose I'm now applying that to why is our healthcare system working this way and and why are we seeing widening inequities and why are we not why are we not successfully addressing these things in practice? So yeah. These that's my new why at the moment. Yeah. Oh, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that your whys started maybe with your first word, maybe after no. And um, just, I'm just guessing, Jess, just vaguely guessing. Um, and that that question will will continue you know that those those questions you ask are just so foundational for our practice, aren't they? And and yet, you know, we're we're in such young relatively young profession well in terms of nutrition and dietetics where it's a very young profession and the um you know one thing we were talking about prior to stepping on recording was that you know that the the, the threads of social justice really are yet to be integrated into uh allied health and certainly uh nutrition and and dietetics which means that we have to kind of do this work ourselves right yeah yeah absolutely and I think we sort of touched on, you know, where we are in the, that maturity cycle of, yeah, integrating the social justice to, to the work that we're doing if we're working in a non-diet um, space. Yeah, sure. And it does mean that we have to do the personal work. Um, we have to spend that time reflecting and asking why. Um, why are we doing things this way? Why have we done things this way? Why are we continuing to do things in a certain way, even if we know that the way that we are um, practicing or the way that we are um, interacting, the language that we're using with people is potentially um, harmful as well. Why are we continuing to, to work in, in this way? Yeah. And they're, they're big, they can be big questions, but they're also really important 
and really core questions when it comes mm. to, you know, working in a truly human centered way, right? Mm, absolutely. And they're really uncomfortable questions at times too. I know that <clears throat> I've experienced um, discomfort and along the way. And I think when I began examining my own privileges and really taking stock of where I sit in society and sort of refer to that as um, what's my social location. Um, I started to realize that um, you, you have to do the personal, the personal work and you can't rely or you can't look to those who are um, suffering or are on the receiving end of um, the oppression that your privileges allow to be enacted to educate you or to do that work for you. And I think that was actually quite a confronting lesson at first, especially when I stepped into spaces online in the Hayes, within the Hayes community and you know, even within the mindful dietitian. When I hadn't examined my privileges and I wasn't really crystal clear on what they were, I found um, dialogue around we're not here to do the emotional labor really challenging to get my head around at first. I was like, but you know, people are here, they want to learn and they want to understand. But there is a big difference between showing up and wanting to learn and showing up and wanting to do the personal work. Mm. Yeah. So I think that was a really important lesson for me and it was a big turning point. Yeah, that's if, if you don't mind me just coming back, uh, just rewinding just a few steps there because there was so much richness, you know, in, in just what you, what you mentioned just now, for those of you, I just want to point folks to your Instagram, um, which is <laughs> body underscore balance underscore nutrition. So your business is body balance nutrition. Mm-hmm. And um, Jess, you have been pretty much on fire for the past <laughs> little while. Um, you've been speaking a lot about um, how we can, you know, start taking a, a bit more personal responsibility for our own actions, for our own ways of being in the world and the way that we show up, I guess. And I have just been loving it, <laughs> to be honest. I've just been loving it because I'm like, oh, bam, woo, that's fantastic. You've hit a number of really great points. And so I'm wondering if it, it might be okay if we, if we just dig down a little bit because it's following directly on from what you just spoke about around the discomfort of recognising our privilege and how that can show up in actually kind of sneaky ways um, mm. and in little ways that, that we might not not recognize and and how we can kind of develop awareness around that um so i'm just going to um uh, you know if folks are, are not in the car and they have your uh and they have instagram handy then um then the 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 post i'm specifically referring to was on the um uh, published on the 3rd of july 2018 um, and you, you list here some, some really great tips for, uh, for it, it, they really are a very invitational, very gentle. There's nothing, um, there's nothing 
in it that says, you know, this is what you have to do to be a good human being. But it's like, you know, here are some, here are some things you can kind of think about. And the first point that you make here is around um, acceptance that we have biases. So do you want to talk a little bit to that? And we'll just kind of run through each tip. Yeah. So I think um, we all carry bias. Um, and, you know, when many of us are not aware of um, what these are unless we sort of really get to understand who we are as people and what uh, experience, our own experience of privilege and, you know, conversely our own experiences of oppression or marginalisation on, on some axis may have been. Um, and so part of that um, coming to accept your bias, I think really centers around coming to examine what those privileges are. And that's come back, comes back to understanding what your social identity is. So who are you as a person? Um, what does say the color of your skin mean for you as you move um, through this world and, and interact with various um, organizations? For example, how do you interact with the healthcare system? Um, how, what does your gender mean for you um, and how you move through the world? Say, how, do you, how does it affect or um, influence, again, how you may interact with the healthcare system or within the workplace? And, and looking to examine other domains. So, you know, what does your sexuality mean for you? How does that translate? And your ability, um, how, you know, able-bodiedness, where do you sit on that axis? Looking at things like religion and um, body autonomy and liberty. So how does the, the size of your body or the shape of your body influence um, the way that you move about in this world? So once you really start to dig down and understand where you sit um, within each of these sorts of domains, and there are, there are many other domains, again, you know, class, education, language. Um, but, you know, if you dig down and you, you sort of look at those core domains, you start to see where you sit. Um, and what privileges you may be afforded in, in one domain and, again, another domain where you may experience a certain amount of oppression or marginalisation. And we can see then that these um, privileges also mean that we carry a certain bias. So I think recognising that our privileges um, create a, a bias and then starting to reflect on what are those biases and and the first step is actually knowing them and acknowledging them. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah, it's a bit of a process. It is a process. Um, and, and noticing what you're, because bias goes, goes two ways, doesn't it? So we have biases for um, mm -hmm. certain things, and then we tend to have biases against certain things. So, um, so remembering that it's not just about what we feel uncomfortable about or what we feel opposed to or what we, something arises in us that, mm. that is, that leads us to believe that, that, um, a certain identity is, is less than or, um, not as valuable as or et cetera, but to mm. also notice that the, the bias towards is also, can also be really sneaky in so many ways um yep. absolutely so, it's that likeness right we yeah we like familiarity and we like similarity and difference is really you know in some aspects some areas of our life 
can be really difficult to sort of um, accept or to tolerate even mm-hmm. uh, a difference. Yes. So you're talking about kind of step one, accepting that these exist and we all have them because we're all human. Mm-hmm. Um, the second being kind of being really honest about about what arises in us. Um, and then, you know, actually being willing to show up and do the work. <laughs> it's like, that's nice. Be okay. Let's, let's now do the work. And, and then, so when, when people like you and I, and many, many others in this space talk about quote unquote, doing the work, what, what are we actually talking about here? So I think that's, that's going to be really different for everyone. And I'll speak to what doing the work is, I think, for me. Um, doing the work is being open to self-reflection, critical self-reflection. So I don't mean negative self-reflection when I say critical. I mean, you know, really examining and analysing um, thought processes, how I'm feeling and how I've reacted or how I'm responding to something or um, something I've read maybe or something I'm hearing or even something I've said or done. Um, doing the work means reading widely um, and not reading material that just supports one point of view or my point of view. It also means engaging with um, the communities that I'm working with and for and listening, um, really, truly, deeply listening to lived experiences and um, not um, allowing stories of hurt or harm or discomfort um, to become, you know, unacceptable for me to listen to. So I think staying engaged when someone is expressing um, their pains or their suffering is also really, really important and part of the process of learning. Yeah. So that's doing the work, I think, for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Only, only yesterday, Jess, I was speaking to some master's level dietetic students and, and although this is a, a kind of just a, this is a small example, um, it's an example of being able to sit with discomfort and sometimes there are ways that we can sit with discomfort in accessible way in, in an accessible way before uh, moving on to to think to topics or situations or circles that are a little bit more challenging for us um, so this example was one of the students asked you know what do you do if someone gets quite upset you know they start crying and um, because that's so familiar to me, I kind of just stopped and I was like, okay, so what do I do actually? And um, my, my response was kind of pretty simple. Um, the first thing is, you know, you never touch a client, you know, so although it might rise in us, you know, to, to comfort using physical touch, that, that is, um, that is uh, uh, not acceptable <laughs> in, a, in a private practice or maybe even a, um, you know, clinical kind of setting, especially without express permission. Um, so I was like, if in doubt, no touching. Um, and second thing is pass the tissues. Mm. And then and then step three, just sit back. 
mm-hmm. sit back and be with, just just mm. be with them. And the question really was centered around, but I don't want people to cry. And, and if they do cry, then that makes me feel really, really uncomfortable. And so we just pressed the pause button right there and spoke a bit about, you know, what, what do you do if you feel uncomfortable? And that actually this is going to be part of your professional life is you are going to feel uncomfortable. Um, so your, your examples of, of how to, um, of how to, you know, pull back the veil, I guess, a little bit on, on things that we put between us and um, the human experience mm. it takes, it takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? Do you think? Mm. Yeah, um, it does. And I think it also, in the helping professions, and particularly, you know, I think I speak here to medicine and and certainly um, perhaps psychology, and to some extent dietetics and and nutrition, we're really um, educated to sort of leave ourselves at the door and to to protect this boundary between practitioner and patient um, and and I think that in itself creates this inability to deeply listen to somebody's story or um, to be able to sit comfortably or uncomfortably in some um, cases with another's emotions and just to allow and to validate um, those feelings and that experience I think in itself as well can be extremely healing Um, for that person so recognizing that too that at that time and in that moment this expert within you just bubbles up and wants to so badly make the crying stop or ease that emotion and and soothe that emotion but perhaps what may be the most healing for this person or this patient is the experience of releasing the emotion and feeling that emotion and allow being allowed to express that emotion within the setting yeah allowing yeah that's so lovely and that takes um deliberate intentional action on our behalf doesn't it to create Mm. that space where people can feel at ease within their own discomfort absolutely and it's also i think looking at it as a from through the that lens of as being a practitioner and someone who often maybe look to to solve problems or Mm. again fix this emotion actually that storytelling and that um that illness narrative that may need to be shared by the patient and this emotion this this crying that you've described in itself you are doing the healing work by sitting there in silence and allowing it yeah Mm. and um what i mean certainly i have experienced this personally and i um I'm wondering if you have too, but one of the um, one of the experiences that pops up quite frequently when we begin to uh, critically examine our own um, biases and our own attitudes, beliefs, behaviours um, towards uh, other other groups of people or other individuals or organisations, even um, is that quite often a shame response <laughs> will emerge. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so I, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Yes. Um, I think we are, you know, pri- privileges are afforded to us 
based on you know things that we are um, parameters of our identity that we are born with and so we haven't necessarily we don't have any control over the privilege in itself that we have been afforded and this is how I understand it at the moment and again I'm, I'm still learning a lot about privilege but I think um, we need to recognize that it's not the privilege um, parameter that we have that we should um, feel any guilt or any shame about. I think it is our persistence, our inability um, to recognize it. And then once we have recognized it, if we fail to act or we allow enactment of oppression um, and marginalization to continue from our position of privilege, then that's where I would think, you know, well, maybe we should be feeling um, mm -hmm. some feelings of guilt or we should be feeling feelings of discomfort because we have recognized this privilege, but we're failing to take action. Um, yes. We should be using these privileged positions to elevate and speak up for, not over or on behalf of, um, but to elevate the voices of those of whom our privilege does marginalize and oppress. And in failing to do that, then I think, you know, feeling guilty or, or um, um, you know, recognizing that that's not perhaps the most appropriate way to go about things sure. is, is not such a bad thing. Yeah, I agree. I, th I think that, um, you know, what I notice is that the shame response is a common one. And it's, um, I think it puts the brakes on, to be honest. I think it, it provides this extra kind of layer of defense against self-examination um, mm -hmm. when we when we get so upset over our own maybe what we've realized about ourselves or mm -hmm. um, you know I, I attended a, a an oppression I guess it was an oppression education session last year and one of the uh, presenters said you know when we have a, a strong shame response um, you know, when our privileges are exposed, I guess you would say, she said that in and of itself is, is part of um, diet culture and is part of um, perfectionism. And she said it is also part of white supremacy. And I was like, oh, oh, she said, mm. the she said the words, <laughs> she said the words. <laughs> mm. And then, and of course, well, for me, this arose, you know, this discomfort arose before I was able to kind of be like, actually, not only is she correct, this is an invitation. This is an invitation to look at how, you know, um, how a diet culture, white supremacy, um, perfectionism, um, and all these responses all intersect and block our ability to be able to then, like you say, to be able to deeply understand the experience of another whilst at the same time recognising our own privileges enough to kind of put the fire underneath us to take action so that we're, um, so that we're um, speaking up mm -hmm. um, when, we, when we notice um, oppression or inequity either in the workplace um, and that we that we feel equipped to do that, um, that we're using mm. our privileges for good, not evil, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think even um, the first sort of steps or the first stage of that is just 
getting really comfortable speaking to and about your privilege and how that shows up and how it, you know, it is, um, you know, know the role of your privilege in your achievements Mm -hmm. um, and understand, understand that. And I think speaking to it and getting really comfortable with acknowledging and being able to label it and put words on what um, your privileges are is really helpful. Definitely. Can I, um, can I offer one of the most common um, responses to the invitation to examine privilege? And that is, and I've got lots of um, personal messages about this. <laughs> I'm used to kind of responding on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. Um, but Jess, I've worked hard. I have worked hard for this education. I have worked hard for this body. I, I have worked hard to be healthy. So you talking about oppression and inequity and privilege, um, I just, um, no, I have worked hard. Uh, Mm. So what would be your response to that? Yeah, I'd say that those responses are a really good indicator of just not even being aware of your own privileges and being able to recognise that, yes, you may um, feel that you have worked hard and you may have very well um, worked hard and you may demonstrate all the qualities of, I don't know, you know, for this, this body, discipline and control. And, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, Performative health. Yes, it, absolutely. That's the word. Um, but in doing so, you're failing to recognise the disparity of access, right, to those, um, all the things that have helped you Uh, acquire your achievements so whether it be your education status whether it be your health status um, where you are what your social location is um, determines your level of access um, and that therefore directly relates to your achievements okay Mm -hmm. and so I think um, my response would be um, you need to do the work in understanding how privilege um, and oppression dictates access or affects access. Mm. Yeah, that's lovely. And then would you write love from Jess? Kiss, hug, kiss, hug. <laughs> XOX. XOX. Fire, fire, no man. <laughs> <laughs> love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, God bless you, Jess. Um, all right. So um, now this is not changing tack at all, but you have <laughs> uh, just again the other day another absolute ripper on Instagram. Um, and this is the comment section cousins. And I love this. Uh, these I instantly recognize. <laughs> yeah. I love it. <laughs> um, so. The red person is tone policing. Mm. The orange human is gaslighting. And then the purple one is mansplaining. <laughs> yeah. And they've all got their little superpowers, right? The heart, the rainbow, the fire, and their gender symbol. And the gender symbol. Oh, my God. It's an absolute rip. And, again, people on Instagram, this was um, published on the 2nd of um, July 2018. Um <clears throat> under body underscore balance underscore nutrition. This is Jess's um, Instagram handle. Okay. So let's, um, let's, let's park the bus here for a sec, if you don't mind, Jess, because I know this is something that puts fire in your belly um, as well as um, 
uh, we, we missed one cousin, which we recognised, and that was concern trolling, and 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 that would be green. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I know you have a thing or two to be saying about niceness too, which is great. So let's talk about niceness and tone policing. What what is what's tone policing, Jess? Yeah, so it's sort of it's it's showing up, and I see it in comment sections mostly on on online in response to maybe um, a different point of view that's been or an experience or just a message that's been put out there and there's emotion perhaps attached to it and that emotion is often anger or frustration um it's it shows up in the comment sections under lived experiences and i'll speak to the lived experiences of fat bodies because that's um the area you know in which i spend a lot of time um, listening and reading and understanding and it's it's asking for niceness it's asking that we dilute the message um, because the reader or the receiver is um, uncomfortable um, it's asking it may be asking you know why are you so angry um, and it's asking and insinuating especially when we're asking why are we so angry um, we're tagging irrationality and hysteria and wrongness with the message because there's an emotion attached to it, right? Mm -hmm. um, essentially, time policing is asking for tolerance of intolerance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so especially yeah. when it's related to um, female expression as well. Yeah, absolutely. It, it shows up in any social justice conversation. Um, I mean... My, my initial response to it when someone's asking, you know, why can't you just be nice or why are you guys so mean? Why are you so angry? Is, um, what? You know, there, there's no nice way for us to be speaking and talking about the abuse or the, the marginalization and the oppression of people um, because of the body that they live in. Mm -hmm. you know like how how you're asking for niceness okay how what's a nice way for us to talk about this mm -hmm. these aren't nice conversations these are hard conversations they're courageous conversations and and you know by asking for niceness we're really diluting the richness of learning and growth yeah and also it's asking for our uh for our feelings i guess to be um, prioritized you know our, yes. our own feelings the recipients feelings I should say as, opposed, as opposed to the, the the readers feelings as opposed to the the person whose experience we actually need to be centering it's like no oh, don't be so offensive or can't yeah. can't we just talk about this nicely no yeah. we can't keep talking about things in a nice manner sometimes getting pissed off about stuff is actually the strength that it takes for things to start shifting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and time policing is, it, it serves the purpose, right? Of just protecting privilege and it silences hurt and it silences lived experience and it, and it shifts the fight for equality solely onto, um, it becomes the responsibility, the sole responsibility of those who are oppressed to do the work. Mm-hmm when we time place, we just silence. Um, and I think we need to remember 
is people who, particularly if we don't have the lived experience, and I, I don't have the lived experience of living in a larger body or a fat body, that it is not, you know, those who do have the lived experience, they don't owe us the emotional charity, charitability, should I say, yes. of playing nice and being nice. No. No, not at all. And I think, you know, if we were to think about um, some examples of, um, of folks online who, who hit the mark really nicely in terms of being very straight up um, <laughs> and kind of being uh, very averse in their um, expression, I guess, with a very warm and generous and genuine um, invitation for us to learn, I would point people, um, for example, on Instagram um, towards um, Ashley, who is body image therapist, mm. towards um, Nicole McDermott, um, who is, uh, what's her handle again? Um, the Embodied Journey. The Embodied Journey. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Nicole is just so fantastic. And Nicole does live in a larger body. She does um, self-identify as a fat person and someone who's recovered from an eating disorder. And I just love the way she just hits the mark every time. It's awesome. Oh, and just, yeah, her generosity with her experience and her her lived experience is incredible. There's so much learning to be done from, um, yeah, the, the posts and the, the sharing of um, the embodied journey. Absolutely. Yeah. And then we've got the likes of dietitian um, Anna, who she mm. speaks um, around ableism or, and, and she is, um, yeah, she's adding again, another layer of, of um, diversity and um, to the conversation. Yes, I adore Anna, and um, and having got to know Anna, you know, she is the generosity with which she is sharing mm. her emerging journey mm-hmm. in, in a changing body um, is just brilliant. And for anybody who's not familiar with Anna. <clears throat> Um, her interview with Chrissy Harrison was spectacular on Food Psych. And then um, I was so lucky to get to know Anna in the US and then to interview her on this podcast um, where she where she does talk about um, privilege and, and, and ableism and, and, um, mm-hmm. and lots of a myriad of other things which um, she, she uh, you know, feels, feels very, very passionate about. Um, so, yeah, so, so niceness is also so niceness is a way to silence those who are most oppressed and finding a way that we can communicate most effectively to prioritize um, the the lived experiences of those who we actually need to be listening to is kind of at the core of yeah yeah of tone policing and it's also i think um not i think i know it to be used to avoid the criticism for say our actions or our words or the unintended consequences mm. of our actions. So, you know, you hear a lot about intention versus impact. And I think it's not good enough to 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 fall back on and to, to say, Oh, but my intentions were good. Well <laughs> it's not really the point. The impact is the impact and our impact is what we should be focusing on and reflecting on. And I think people spend so much time reflecting on what their intentions were that they forget that there are people affected and impacted by your actions. And tone policing is one way in which we avoid criticism for it. Yeah. 
absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's like asking for people to um, play nice. I mean, you and I see this online all the time. Can't we just play nice? Can't we just support each other? Can't we just, you know, can't we just yeah play nicely in the sandpit? And it's like, mm-hmm. well, we, we can we can have discussions if, if that's what you'd like to do. Like we, we can definitely have discussions which, um, which elevate and further um, our understanding of our place in the world and how we show up in the world and, and what we actually are here to do. But I'm not here to pass flowers around. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, <laughs> absolutely not. And um, uh, I see this as well. This is a, this is, yeah. One of my least favorite comments is, you know, but we're all in the same profession and shouldn't we be supporting each other's point of view or shouldn't oh, we be, God. you know, we're colleagues and we should be collegial and, you know, we should pre- be presenting a united front. Um, okay. Well, if you're going to put uh, damaging messages, messages and information out there in a public space um, as a professional, then, we, we're not going to see any growth if we all sit back and play nice and say, oh, this is, you know, not hold people accountable for the misinformation that they're spreading and sharing um, mm-hmm. or the, the um, fat phobia that they're continuing to perpetuate. And so when I see that show up, I just think, where is the growth? We're missing the opportunity for growth and um, learning and understanding and change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Yeah, niceness will hold us back. Yes. Oh my gosh. As individuals and collectively, absolutely. Mm. Like as mm-hmm. as a profession, as um, you know, particularly for women, um, you know, this particularly being a, a female dominated kind of profession, um, it's yeah, it's mm. absolutely going to hold us back. And you know that that speaks just to the mm. difference between calling out and calling in. So you know, uh, for those listening who are not um, aware, which I wasn't aware for many, many years. I I knew calling out, but I didn't realize, I didn't know what calling in was. So calling out is the, you know, um, mostly publicly um, uh, kind of um, overting of behaviors which are hurtful or harmful with a rationale. Well, plus or minus a rationale, I guess. Um, And that would be, more public i guess and that 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 has a place that has a place for people that are repeat offenders that show no insight and um seem to be very uh, seemed like your privilege is showing type thing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then calling in is a i suppose you would regard it as a gentler approach like a gentler approach more what it might sound like you know in a million different ways might be hey you know i'm 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 wondering if you if you knew that this particular phrase or this particular intervention da 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 um, is highly, for example, weight stigmatizing or is very ableist or um, you know it seems to be centering those with the most privilege. You know, um, you might like to read more. Send link. Send link. Send book. Um, mm. Yada yada. So that's a gentler approach, and both of those have a place. Would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think um, you don't, we don't always get it right. And yeah, it's true. we um, certainly, you know, when you feel passionately or you feel, um, yeah, you feel passionately about the cause or um, the work that you do, 
um, it can certainly be easier to default to calling out. Um, and for people who are new in the space or new to the work, calling in is certainly a much more gentler approach, especially if they're here to learn and they're here to grow. Calling out, as you mentioned, certainly got a place. Those re repeat offenders, those who are totally lacking insight or aren't willing to um, name their privilege. Mm -hmm. mm. And there are plenty of those people, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah, I so many of us we're, we're you know we're a deeply compassionate group of people um and remembering that all our ex all our emotional experiences um have a place including mm. the very strong ones like anger um that has a place because that's the fire that lights um that lights action you know values driven action and social justice oriented action and um ways that we can address true quote-unquote health <laughs> for folks mm. that actually mm. you know, don't necessarily get that get, get access to opportun those opportunities yeah absolutely and i think you've again you've touched here on a really great point is that when people first come across um health at every size or um, they may have stepped up into it through the non-diet approaches perhaps or mindful eating and they associate um, this paradigm with compassion and I think it gets um, misassociated with there is no room for feelings of anger or frustration or um, rage or um, those uncomfortable um, sort of volatile explosive emotions they're not um they're not recognized as part of this sort of compassion that um people seem to sort of perhaps misassociate with this practice and so when we do come up with this feeling of anger that finally bubbles up to the surface and it's expressed and we're asked you know why are we so angry that person's really failing um to recognize the origin of someone's distress um, you know they're feeling they're feeling angry um, for what really is a human rights issue and it's failing to be to be seen because that privilege is getting in the way mm -hmm. of allowing that um, to be expressed mm -hmm. and actually I think this is something that I'm only just really starting to unpick for myself is that when we ask um, people to suppress these emotions of anger they internalize them and you know it may sort of present and fester away and, and that's bad for our health so yeah. as people that are uh, that we um, are working with who are experiencing oppression and marginalization for living in larger bodies for example uh, they they may be very well unaware of this anger that is bubbling away inside and that in itself has health implications most definitely yeah most health, definitely mental health stress response and then they're interfacing with a healthcare system that isn't really designed to meet their needs um, or you know enacts further oppression and stigma stigmatization and so we really do have 
multiple levels of um, yeah inequity um, happening. And it only perpetuates the uh, the the discomfort that we have with uh, folks, particularly folks who are marginalised or oppressed, expressing anger. Mm. You know, it perpetuates mm. the idea of you know just be 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 happy with what you get, which is mm. so which is at the at the core and at the root of um, you know what we're trying to speak up against with health at every size informed approaches um, mm -hmm. that you know um, equity is at its at its core and the um, and how we can all be both complicit in oppression in ways which might not be in our view it might be in the shadows um, but that you know through through conversations or through not speaking up that um, that unfortunately we can all be complicit in um, furthering the perpetuation of, of stigma mm. particularly Absolutely. you know against um, folks who who do not enjoy good health care as a result of um, a, of a marginalized identity Absolutely. Or not even good healthcare, you know, like appropriate. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> healthcare, just the basics. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 then this sort of this comment, I don't know, it really gets me this ang why are you so angry comment? It's just it's it's being used to um, insinuate that an emotional opinion or an emotional response um, shouldn't be trusted or it shouldn't be valued and so then when we've got people who are sharing lived experiences that are deeply emotional or they do include some um, you know uncomfortable uh, to hear um, emotions we're sort of you know when we say why are you so angry we're, we're invalidating it we're, mm -hmm. we're saying this isn't to be trusted and so it further perpetuates the cycle of um, marginalization and oppression mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Spot on. Mm. Yep. And and could use to elevate the privilege, continue the oppression and and round round we go. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Which is why on online spaces you will never see Jess and Fee leaving that comment alone. <laughs> <laughs> we'll always jump onto oh, that. One. No. And um, and actually I'm seeing it as well and I think this sort of feeds back to that maturity cycle of where we are in this um, journey especially here in New Zealand I feel like we're the maybe the little little brother or little sister or the little person sort of tagging along behind you guys in Australia quite further down the track and again you know within the states really leading the way um, we're seeing it within our own professional group um, mm -hmm that feeling that am I allowed to feel angry or, you know, should we be playing nice guys? Where do, where do we sit here? And we're still working it out. And, and because we, we are, um, our voice is being elevated in the non-diet space here in New Zealand, but we are butting up at the moment against, you know, some of the, those um, professionals who are staunchly weight centric because, you know, when you've written a book, with a title that really boxes you into a paradigm. Yes. It's kind of expensive to rewrite a book, Jess. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, shift your whole thinking. So, um, yeah, we, we're, I'm seeing that a little bit within, you know, our own profession is come on guys, let's be nice about this. You know, we'll get more people on side and, 
this is you know we might we might have you know, more people who are interested in joining or um, listening to our opinion and our point of view and and I think we can still do that we don't necessarily have to remove the emotion or yeah play nice we we just have to be compassionate um, we have to keep the door open um, for people to come in and out I think it's a little bit like one of those you know those turning doors at the front of a a skyscraper or an elevator yes. sometimes you can push them around you might come in for a bit and hear something or experience a point of view find it too uncomfortable and you've got to leave and then you revisit and you come back in again and I think for some that might be part of the process um, but I think we're doing a disservice if we play nice mm-hmm. and we remove the emotion mm-hmm. yeah most definitely yeah particularly if we're invited to be uh, to play nice and then let me tell you what I know let me let me tell you more about me let me tell you more about what I know which is the kind of conversations I get into like why do you why, why are you not being very nice and and then let me tell you more about me and how good yeah. I am that's that <laughs> expert badge right oh. <laughs> which is probably a whole other podcast but right I just it is yeah, we're <laughs> just like, that's nice but I'm the expert here and I have the piece of paper to to prove it. Yeah. Um, And that's something I really hope professional bodies and um, yeah, universities and institutions could maybe take a little bit of time to reflect on is actually, is this helpful or harmful to be sending our new grads out into the world, working with human experience and bodies and giving them the shiny expert badge? Is this, the best thing to be doing is it the best thing that you know dietetic associations are pushing the message that we are the expert can we not be the facilitator of our patient and clients to find their own expert within themselves oh just just wonder that's a big word facilitator is it's too many letters so it won't fit on the badge it won't fit on the badge so we need to stick with expert it's got less letters yeah Uh, you're right you're right you know what this could be this could be a whole other other (laughs) podcast but no i i completely completely concur with you where you know have you seen the um it's like the inverted bell-shaped curve where over time you know the way you regard your own expertise is really high say for example as a graduate and let's face mm-hmm. it all of the graduates I know they actually do know way more about nutrition science than me um, mm. I'm not, not going to lie for a second and then as t- as time goes on as you become more of an expert you then begin to you realize how little you know <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's that's really where I am I'm like oh actually I know a bit about a few things but oh my gosh there's so much to learn <laughs> absolutely and and um god that's such an uncomfortable word oh, i know isn't it even coming I, out of my mouth i'm like Ugh. yeah because it just it means that you shut off from new learning opportunities um you don't make room for um you don't even yeah you, you stop learning from the people who are sit, sitting in front of you um yeah your patients and your clients man they've got so much to share and and so much um, opportunity but it's such a lost opportunity if you go into your clinical interactions with your expert badge and your expert hat on um, exactly it seems to close your ears yeah and 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 uh, the, 
like you say, it kind of, it blocks the willingness to take on information which can really, uh, I guess, fuel our, our wisdom. Mm. And that wisdom muscle is quite, um, it, it's not strong as graduates, is it? You know, it's our wisdom muscle is, is the one that really needs work. Whereas our knowledge and intellect muscle, that could be really strong. And I mean, that's great, fine, whatever. Um, I personally haven't found my intellectual muscle <laughs> to be like, I don't always need it that much. Um, whereas my wisdom muscle, oh my God, I need to work that constantly. Um, mm. And that's only, it's only time and experience and the, and the um, humility to, mm -hmm. to sit back and, and learn. Um, oh my God, Jess, um, uh, we have to, it seems like maybe we have to book in another time already, which is <laughs> not surprising. Oh, I know. Stretch, I know. Yes. Mm. Um, so you've got the rest of the day off. Enjoy that. Um, mm -hmm. no, no doubt. Uh, you've got hopefully a few plans and no plans and maybe a bit of both. But absolutely. I wish the weather would, uh, was, I could report that the weather here was nice and um, sunny, but it's not. So it's a day for inside, maybe more reading, maybe a bit of art, something to share on Instagram. Yes. Yes, please. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. We really appreciate your generosity <laughs> of your art. Oh, oh, it was so great to chat Jess. Um, just huge gratitude to you for the work, the really, really um, groundbreaking work that that you and um, and the rest of your um, body balance nutrition team, people like Sarah Peck in um, in Auckland, are doing. Just massive thanks mm. to you because you're really, really, you know, at the forefront of of this work of non diet and and health at every size in New Zealand. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you, and thank you for yeah for the work that you do and your huge generosity and, and Sarah and I, um, yeah, we wouldn't, we wouldn't really be able to, um, yeah, do the work or facilitate those who are willing to come along on this journey with us without, yeah, the huge generosity of, of our colleagues like yourself. And yeah, it's one thing I love about this community is the collegiality. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> And we're not, and just to, just to close off the niceness stuff is it's not that we're always nice. It's that we're generous and we're compassionate and we're, we're honest and um, hopefully most of the time humble and, but, but also warm and mm -hmm. we'll, we'll come mm -hmm. in, we'll come in for a hug, but we'll also be really honest with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's what you, we've got to keep it real. Absolutely. Keeping it real mm. since 2016. <laughs> oh, awesome. Thanks, Bing. It's been great. Thank you, Jess. I'll chat to you soon. Cheers. Okay, bye. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone.